You're listening to the PMO Strategies Podcast, where PMO leaders become impact drivers. This is episode 94. Hey there, Impact Driver. Welcome to the PMO Strategies Podcast. I am your host, Laura Bernard, and today we are tackling the do's and don'ts of project rescue work. How do you rescue a project without perpetuating the problem? There's a fine line between becoming the firefighter that always comes in to rescue projects and being a fire preventer to ensure that that project never gets off track in the first place. Today, we will explore the good and the bad of project rescue. Can you rescue the project without rescuing the people? And is there an approach that will help you ensure that projects don't get off track in the first place? And if you have to come in and fix an off-track project, How do you make sure it doesn't happen again? This episode is sponsored by the Impact Inner Circle Membership Program. Save the time, headaches, and frustration of having to build project management capability from scratch by using our complete project management framework, guidance, templates, and tools. Follow our guidance for building, running, and rescuing projects the right way the first time. Choose from a library of hundreds of quick targeted training programs to help you learn more about agile, learn more about strategy, organizational change management, project management, PMOs, and so much more all inside an easy to access resource portal. Learn more at pmostrategies.com forward slash membership. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash membership. Okay, let's dive in. We've all been there. The work starts piling up, the deadlines are hovering over our heads, and our project is behind schedule. Or if you're running a PMO, you can see there are projects in your portfolio that are not doing as well as they need to in order to achieve that highest possible return on investment for the overall portfolio and for the strategy. And it's so tempting to just jump in and start rescuing the project to make sure that the ultimate outcomes are achieved. It's really fun to be the hero. And we know that as the project manager, we're ultimately accountable for the project's success. And as a PMO leader, of course, you are responsible for the entire portfolio success, right? But there are some big challenges that come with being the firefighter and rescuing our project team members again and again when they just aren't getting their work done. And I know how tempting it can really be. I mean, the stress levels are up, the adrenaline starts pumping, you know you've just got to pull a late night to get that project back on track, or maybe it's a late week or a late month. You see where I'm going with this, right? And It can be fun to be the hero. I love being the hero. I love helping my students and my clients achieve big things. And I've also learned that if I don't set them up for future success, even when I'm coming in there to do rescue work, then I'm only perpetuating the problem. It does no good for us to be the firefighter 
again and again and again. And frankly, some of us might unknowingly become the fire starters by perpetuating the problem. Despite how much fun it can be to come to the rescue of your project team members, there are some pretty big risks with doing so. First, you become the one that does the work. When we rescue others by doing the work for them, they will let us keep rescuing them and keep doing the work for them. You see the problem with this? If we make it the thing that we just quote unquote do to knock it out or help out others, they're going to let you keep doing it. I mean, why wouldn't they? If they see you swoop in and save the day and make it seem like it's not a big deal, then why wouldn't they let you just keep doing it? Number two, you don't get your own work done. There's no way you can rescue other people by doing their work for them and still stay on top of all the things that you should be doing. If you're a manager or project manager of any kind or you lead others, you certainly have more work on your plate than you really have time to do. So why do you think that you have time to take on the work of other people and still get your own stuff done? Not only that, but people will start to point out all the things you didn't get done that are your actual responsibility because you were so busy doing other people's work. I know, it seems totally unfair, right? You know you aren't supposed to be doing that work, and so do they. Sometimes the people you're doing the work for are really grateful. Sometimes your boss and other people that are expecting other things from you are really grateful. And they're still going to measure you based on what you were supposed to be doing, not the work you did to rescue someone else. The fact that you did other people's work is not how you are ultimately measured. You're going to be measured on the work you were supposed to do and now you have the choice of either killing yourself to get it done on top of rescuing someone else who didn't do their work, or you're going to disappoint people that were expecting you to accomplish something you were supposed to do. And don't underestimate the credibility hit that will happen to you. Because when you don't deliver what people are expecting of you, you said you were going to do something and you didn't. So if you don't get your own work done, you don't really have a leg to stand on, even if you were rescuing someone else. This is just a very important danger you need to consider before you take on rescuing another person for their mistakes. Number three, you lose the ability to hold others accountable. If people see that they can get away with not doing something they're supposed to do, Regardless of how many times you told them they had to do it, they will just not do it. It's that simple. If there are no consequences for them not doing something, then why would they change the behavior? It's not that they are necessarily being difficult or trying to start trouble. They may have their energy entirely focused on something else that they believe is more important. However, People will see that there really are not consequences to not doing what they were supposed to do and others will start mimicking the behavior. This is extremely dangerous to an otherwise effective team. What happens is, number four, the entire team becomes less productive. If it's your job to help facilitate the work instead of doing it all yourself because you just want to make sure it gets done, 
and your time is spent doing the work for other people, you're not going to have time to make sure that the work that should be getting done is getting done the way it should be getting done and when it should be getting done. You'll be too busy doing the doing instead of leading others. And that leads me to number five. You lose your authority. When you become one of the doers instead of one of the leaders, you are going to lose the authority over the whole team. Now I am all for all hands on deck in a crisis, and I'm not saying you never want to roll up your sleeves and help, but I am saying you must be very careful how you proceed. As managers, we must have a level of authority to assign the work and facilitate work completion. And if we are doing the same tasks as everyone else or picking up the slack for people that did not, for whatever reason, do what they were supposed to do, then we become a task doer instead of a manager, making sure that the work is getting done. Your job is to facilitate getting the work done, not to own all of the tasks on the project schedule. Number six, people will start to wait to get rescued. There are several reasons that this is likely to happen, and it isn't just because everyone on your project is lazy. While laziness can certainly plague teams, these days, things like Zoom fatigue and COVID stress and other factors are probably even more prevalent than laziness. It's quite possible that the people that are supposed to be doing the work just don't place as high of a priority on the task as you do. Therefore, they're just going to keep letting you do it. Or it's possible that they are just so completely overwhelmed and you aren't being the squeaky wheel. So they aren't stopping everything they're doing to attend to what you want them to do. They're doing the things that are getting the squeaky wheel attention that need to be addressed more urgently. And you're rescuing them. So it's still getting done in their eyes. So why change anything? Now, what's really important to understand, and we'll talk more about this when we talk about how you can rescue the project without rescuing the people and perpetuating the problem. A lot of people are in crisis right now. A lot of people are under a tremendous amount of stress, and it's probably going to improve very, very slowly, if at all. We have all realized that the pace of change is not going to slow down and that there could be another crisis, not necessarily a global pandemic, but another crisis around any quarter. There could be market shifts, housing crises, political changes, or simply a competitor comes in and creates some noise and a shift in focus for your organization. The change that's coming will be in a million different forms. So we've got to make sure that we are looking at the priorities that are affecting an individual person on your project team or your whole project team in the context of everything else that's going on around them and figure out what you need to do on your projects to take into account these other priorities instead of just ignoring them, hoping that the project team member will address your things first or badgering them if they don't. Neither of those are going to be very effective and both of them are probably going to lead to you just quote unquote, doing it for them to keep the project moving forward. That's not sustainable. And finally, number seven, what you're really doing with all of this is perpetuating the problem. 
So many of us have said, and I'm guilty of this too, it would take me longer to explain it, so I'm just going to do it myself. And yes, sometimes that's actually true. We do something that we know we really should delegate to someone else because it just seems so much easier to do it ourselves. However, once you have this mindset, you will miss the opportunity to teach someone else how to do something so that next time you don't have to do it. Think about it. If it's something that will ever possibly happen again, do you want to be the one that does it every time? Maybe one time in the instant, in the moment, it would quote unquote, just be easier to do it ourselves. But if this task is going to come up again, you should make sure someone else is equipped to do it themselves. The other problem here is that things are never a just or as easy as we think they are. The five minute task somehow magically turns into a four hour back and forth email conversation, chasing people down to get answers and going through review cycles. And then you start to realize, oh my goodness, this would have actually been easier if it was on the right person's plate to start with. Now that we've talked about some of the pains and the problems you are likely to experience by rescuing the people on your project, how do you avoid finding yourselves in this position of not delegating and ending up doing all of these tasks we know darn well we shouldn't be doing? Let's switch gears now and focus on project rescue instead of people rescue. The goal here is to understand how you can get the project back on track in the most effective way and ensure that we go into fire prevention mode so that the same problems don't happen again. Now, this can be a sticky situation to rescue a project that is struggling to meet the business needs. But armed with these tips, you can get the project back on track and get people moving in the right direction and ensure that you put a solid foundation for progress in place that doesn't let them backslide and also ensures that the people know better for next time. So what's the first thing you do? Be sure to avoid the blame game. But be honest about how the project got to where it is in the first place. You must use an honest self-assessment, project assessment approach with the team to understand why the project is where it is and how it got off track. If you don't, the team is very likely to repeat the same mistakes on this project, on future projects, or frankly, the minute you turn your back. We've got to make sure we set up all of this investigation work and all of the movement forward to learn from this process and learn from the prior mistakes so that they aren't repeated. Now, this is a tough thing to do because people are going to naturally be defensive because they know the project isn't where it's supposed to be. Maybe their boss is yelling at them. Maybe the project team is all feeling frustrated and stressed and overwhelmed. Maybe they've tried their best and now you're in here acting like a superhero with your cape and you're going to tell them all the things they did wrong, right? No, that's why we've got to make sure that we stick to the facts and keep it super straightforward about what actually happened and focus everyone's energy on where do we go from here 
And how do we make sure we correct the problems that are going to bite us if we don't fix them today? Number two, revisit the project's why statement. Why is this project being done? And what's the impact that's expected to be achieved when this project's completed? This often comes in the form of a business case or a proposal for the project. You've got to get clear on the purpose of the project and the intended goals and make sure that everyone kind of resets and refocuses on those goals. Everyone needs to get it, not just read the business case, but understand the outcomes expected, the problems that are being solved, and how this is going to change the organization, the client, the way people operate for the better in the future. It's not enough for the project manager or for a business analyst on the project to read this business case. Everyone needs to know the why for the project and all of the work they do needs to be aligned and talked about in the context of that why. Now, if you don't have a business case for this project, or it's not very clearly stated in some kind of description of the project benefits, the outcomes expected, the return on investment expected, you need to get that done now. Everyone needs to rebaseline around that why statement. And if it's not clear and there are no measures as to what success looks like, that is probably why you're where you are with this project in the first place. So pause and go get those answers to the why, the benefits intended, the outcomes expected, the impact and return on investment for that project. This can be done fairly simply with a couple of questions to the right business stakeholders and using things like a business case template that we have inside our project management framework, for example, it does not have to be a complicated and drawn out process. Now I mentioned ROI and that's number three here. You've got to get clear on the return on investment for this project and evaluate if this project can still meet the intended outcomes and the appropriate ROI. It doesn't make sense to continue a project if it doesn't have a chance of meeting the right goals. That's why it's so important you have this business case and why it's so important that you take the time to map out the results expected from this project and ensure that you're still on track. All too often, projects that should have been killed a long time ago are left around to fester and drain resources and energy and money from the organization when there's no way they're going to achieve their goals. And as a PMO leader, but also as a project manager, your job is to have these conversations with the business leaders and show them, look, there is no way this project is going to meet the intended goals if, let's just say, the goals are that it achieves 100000 in profit from doing this work. And guess what? You're already well in the hole from a budget perspective and have eaten all the potential benefits of doing this project in the first place. So you either need to change the scope, cut the expenses, and probably can't do that if you're already way behind schedule and you've spent all the money, right? So you're going to have to look at whether or not it actually makes sense to continue forward with the project, how much you can possibly stand to gain from doing it. And you can only do that if you've gotten very clear on that business case and clearly identified what the expected return can actually still realistically be expected from that project. 
Number four, determine if the original goals are still valid. All coming back to that business case, sometimes projects go off track because the goals that were originally defined are no longer the right direction. The team begins to shift focus, add new scope, or require other changes that are more likely to meet the best outcomes. And that can be a really good thing, but it does require you to reassess scope, reassess the schedule, reassess cost, and determine if the ROI is still there and if it's achievable based on those changes. Oftentimes, PMO leaders and project managers go out of their way to make sure that that golden triangle does not get affected. When sometimes the best thing you can do for a project is to incorporate changes because your goal and your success is not defined by how perfect your triple constraint is or that your EVM numbers are great, your earn value management numbers that tell you how much you've spent and how much time's gone by, but don't actually tell you a darn thing about value. Those don't matter as much as achieving the actual intended benefits. And if there's a way to spend a little bit more money, change the scope, and then achieve that ROI that's intended, your business leaders are likely to go for it. The reason a lot of this kind of negotiating doesn't happen on projects is that we aren't providing the information business leaders need to make those educated and informed decisions. So they're just saying no, or they're just saying do it for the existing cost because you haven't presented a good case to them that helps them clearly see additional scope, additional cost, but look at what it does to that ROI. Isn't that a beauty? That's what they need to see from you. And the more you talk to them in terms of the real business value and the real business impact in terms of ROI, the more likely they are to see you as a real business leader, a strategic business partner that can help them make the right decisions on their projects. Now, number five here is something that I think many project leaders and PMO leaders take for granted, and that's getting everyone involved. You've got to make sure you look for feedback from everyone involved in the project, not just the primary stakeholders. Sometimes the best insights come from those that can look at the bigger picture, provide an outsider's perspective, or are not too emotionally tied to the project. Sometimes those stakeholders are the ones that can tell you what's really going on because they're not caught in the emotional turmoil of the middle of the mess. So make sure that you're asking everybody that you think can provide insight as to how things got to where they are and what they believe needs to be done to get things back on track. The more emotionless and neutral they can be about it, the more it fills in the gaps in the bigger picture of what's really going on without any of that blame game nonsense getting in the way. Number six, make a realistic plan. You've got to ensure that the new project constraints, time, scope, and cost are developed with all of the necessary stakeholders that are expected to do the work. Many times when a plan is put together, the project didn't have realistic timelines or a scope or a budget to begin with because the right people, AKA the people that actually do the work, weren't included in the planning process. Don't let that mistake happen twice. You know who the people are doing the work now, right? Because the project's already been underway and got itself into a hot mess. 
So now is the time for you to say, okay, all of you people that are involved in this project, let's figure out together what it's really going to take to do this work so we can put together a realistic plan. And number seven, and this is a big one to help you avoid rescuing the people while still rescuing the project, you must hold people accountable. You have to establish an accountability model that allows for everyone to actively commit in writing and verbally to what they will accomplish and then hold everyone accountable publicly to meeting those commitments. Now, one of my favorite ways to do this is to get all the stakeholders together, build the right work breakdown structure with all of the stakeholders feeding into that, all the project team members and those that manage those people are all together. They explain what work needs to get done. Remember, the project manager should not build the work breakdown structure. The project manager should facilitate the conversation that lets the people that do the work define the work breakdown structure. And as you're doing that, before you've laid it on a timeline, you say, okay, got it. So how much does this work package take from an effort perspective? How much work effort is this? Who needs to be assigned to this? And what are the dependencies? And you let them answer. You don't answer for them. Then as you lay it all out on a calendar, you get them to commit to those timelines by saying, this is when I can have something to you. When we feed it to them and tell them when we need something versus when they can have it, they're not actually making the commitment. You're declaring what you need, but you're letting them off the hook of making the commitment. So to hold people accountable, the trick I like to use is saying, hey, when can you have this to me person on the project team and give them time to evaluate all the other things they need to do and give you a realistic timeline. Then from that, you make sure that they're verbally committing to it and that you're writing it down in front of other people and that all of those deadlines will be made available to everybody on the project. You know, like in your project schedule that everybody can see. Don't hide your project schedule from people. You've got to make sure it's visible, just like every other commitment that's made. And that schedule becomes the commitments of what everybody has said they are going to do and when they say they are going to do it. Transparency is a key to holding people accountable. And number eight, you've got to mean what you say. In the first part of this podcast, we talked about the problems with rescuing people and the consequences we experience for not having consequences for their lack of adherence to the agreed upon constraints, commitments, and plan. The worst thing we can do as leaders to degrade our own authority is to shy away from creating real and meaningful consequences to undesirable behaviors. If we don't mean what we say and do what we said we were going to do as a consequence of them not committing and then following through on those commitments, they're going to ignore us and we will lose all credibility. Number nine, and this is not just for you as a PMO leader or project manager, but you must act as a fiduciary. If you have ever listened to or seen a webinar or training or inside my memberships, I talk about the impact driver mindsets. One of the things we must do to transform our mindset is understand our fiduciary responsibility to the organization to ensure that 
all projects achieve the highest possible return on investment. We can't be afraid to shut down projects that are not going to meet that return on investment expected. There's no reason to pour good money after bad and let something go into a hole if it's really not going to provide the intended benefits for the money spent, the time spent, the resources spent. If the return on investment is just not there, don't let emotion or the fact that this is someone's pet project keep you and the project team from doing the right thing. It's on you to ensure that you clearly align the business outcomes desired with the project outcomes you create. And if it's just not there, your job, your job as a fiduciary for the organization is to ensure that you speak up and you make sure that the people making the decisions know with no uncertainty that this project will not achieve the intended ROI. So they can make an informed decision to shut the project down and put those resources where they belong on something that will achieve that ROI. And number 10, take the time to do it right this time so that it'll be done right next time. If the project skipped some important process steps along the way, now is the time to correct them. Like I mentioned before, if you don't have a clear business case, you must have one before you can try to rescue the project. Don't have solid requirements? Well, then of course you aren't seeing the intended benefits. You don't know what they are and you don't know how to get there. Is the schedule unrealistic? Get the right players around the table, like I talked about, to do a real work breakdown structure and a schedule based on what is realistic, what they can commit to, what they do commit to, as opposed to what you want from them. Get the right players in the room, having the right conversations and building a schedule that is actionable and attainable. When you take on the role of project rescuer, you must remember to assess the current situation unemotionally, and that your role is to represent the best interests of the company, not the project. You are the fiduciary, even if you're the project manager on the project, even if you're the PMO leader and this is one of a million projects you're overseeing, you are the fiduciary. You are the investment manager for the organization. So you've got to make sure that you are keeping the organization's interest at heart because that's your client. That's who you work for. It can be utterly exhausting on everyone to drag along through a project that shouldn't be happening or is so far off track that they've lost sight of the entire purpose. And when you get this right, everyone wins. You can rescue the project without rescuing the people and perpetuating the problem. Remember, It can be really fun to be a firefighter. It can also kind of be a little bit fun, if we're being honest, to be a fire starter if we're totally an adrenaline junkie and enjoying that fire fighting. And it is exhausting. It perpetuates the problem. And a little bit of fun in the moment becomes your nightmare long term. So let's become fire preventers and ensure that even when we hit a fire, we know how to stop it cold and ensure that the mistakes made here on this project don't happen again on any other projects.
Okay, that's it for this episode. Don't forget, this episode is sponsored by the Impact Inner Circle Membership Program. Save the time, headaches, and frustration of having to build project management capability from scratch by using our complete project management framework, guidance, templates, and tools. Follow our guidance for building, running, and rescuing projects the right way the first time. Choose from a library of hundreds of quick targeted training programs to help you learn more about agile, learn more about strategy, organizational change management, project management, PMOs, and so much more. All inside an easy to access resource portal. Learn more at pmostrategies.com forward slash membership. That's pmostrategies.com forward slash membership. Okay, Impact Driver, now it's time to go rescue that project without perpetually rescuing the resources. I'd love to know how it's working out for you, so make sure that you send us a message or comment on our website on this post. And if you have not done so, make sure you hit subscribe or follow on your favorite podcast player so that you don't miss any of our future episodes. Bye-bye for now.